Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching, and today we are going to cover whether or not being highly sensitive is genetic. So if you are parenting a highly sensitive kid and you are wondering whether or not your sensitive child is uh, experiencing a temperament trait or if they have some sort of mental health issue, and that is because they are having daily meltdowns or losing their mind on a daily basis in some other way by hitting, kicking, screaming, yelling, throwing things or running away up to their room, slamming doors, all of that, right? Then listen up. It is so important to understand whether or not your child is highly sensitive and then whether or not your family is stuck in the meltdown cycle. And we're going to talk about both because the temperament trait, sensory processing sensitivity is just that. It is, a, it is a personality temperament trait, right? And this is innate. So it is definitely part of how your child is born. Now, I want to focus on this. We're going to be speaking uh, research language here today. And let's get started. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. So welcome to today's show. And obviously you are here listening in. If this is the first time that you have heard me speak, then I'll introduce myself a little bit. So I am a licensed clinical professional counselor and a registered play therapist supervisor by um, clinical experience. I have over nearly 15 years past post-masters, but I've been working in the mental health field since I was in high school, uh, where my first uh, internship was in a residential treatment center. So uh, working with young children who were in locked door facility was the first time I worked in the, in the facility like that. And then uh, again, in college, my internship was in juvie, um, working working with the girls unit. And then in, in um, an uh, undergrad started working in schools and then outpatient and again in residential treatment centers, um, one, sorry, residential treatment center, and then private practice uh, all the way through to now only uh, being a transformational coach, mental health consultant, and educational consultant. So I've worked in every setting except for hospitals um, and PHP, though I've worked with plenty of children who have been in and out of those settings coming back to me, um, uh, or like working in those settings and then coming to me to work with me in private practice or in a uh, residential treatment center where we were the end of the road. So I want to speak about this because with my clinical and professional experience, I moved into coaching parents to stop that cycle much, much earlier then by the time uh, their their children ended up in those um, you know high intense um, services, and these are kids who were raised in um, safe environments in the sense that uh, there wasn't pervasive trauma happening in the dynamic. Though I have a lot of experience being a trauma therapist and, and training to do so, uh, it's also true that the children that we work with directly 
and the children that I worked with in my clinical career were engaging in these very intense life-threatening behaviors, so much so that they needed to be removed from their home simply due to a mismatch in parenting. So these are children who were struggling without um, a history uh, of trauma. And so I want to speak about that because I've had all kinds of clinical experience uh, working with children who are autistic, as well as working with children who were not, and um, who had you know some pretty significant um, traumatic experiences as well. So I would like to uh, fancy myself as someone who could tell the difference uh, and know what to do. Now, as a clinician, I was a prescriptive clinician, so I did not do a one-size-fits-all process when I was running my own practice and working with children with all needs. However, once I um, worked only with highly sensitive children, I then ran the largest group practice specialized in working with highly sensitive kids who are engaging in self-harmful or suicidal behavior in teenagers to help them keep, uh, keep themselves out of the hospital, working directly with parents and children to do that. So I did eventually specialize in only working with highly sensitive kids. However, I do recognize that when kids are not highly sensitive, um, then whatever is bringing them to the clinical office is definitely necessary to understand before you provide a decision on what evidence-based treatment you're going to use. Um, and I did that as a clinician. Now, once I was a clinician only in this issue, then I only worked with evidence-based treatment and then also added uh, what I know that every parent needs to learn, right? Now, again, uh, with that history um, to to move forward, our process, we help parents of highly sensitive kids uh, eliminate the daily meltdown cycle, shutdown, refusal cycle, all of the aggression and, and that intensity that's happening on a daily or multiple times a day basis or multiple times a week basis. We help parents break out of that pattern in as little as eight weeks. We have a 98% success rate. So what that means is that everybody that does the work stops the cycle. And they know that what they did uh, in terms of following our process is what did it. It's not because they just took their kid on vacation and the kid was happy, <laughs> uh, which is true. It's really true that, that that can happen when you're raising a highly sensitive kid. And so I want to talk about this because highly sensitive kids are more prone to feel differently according to their environment. And this is very uh, thoroughly discussed in the research on sensory processing sensitivity. So let's back it up, right? Uh, being highly sensitive is uh, definitely related to one's genes. Now, it is important to understand that the research that's coming out right now, uh, late 2023 and into early 2024, is that because the human genome is, is much uh, easier to study, because it's, it's much cheaper to um, to to learn and, and, and to study now than it was, you know, five, 10 years ago, it, it cost a fortune to look at one single person's DNA makeup right now. You could do that, um, with a $25 subscription, uh, subscription, right. But, um, when researchers are assessing the highly sensitive trait and whether or not a, a person is highly sensitive, they're looking at thousands of genes to, compo to compose that profile and determine whether or not a, a person is highly sensitive, right? So you as a parent need to understand that one single characteristic or a few characteristics of the trait um, are, are not going to help you determine whether or not your kid's highly sensitive, right? So Elaine Aaron, back in the 90s, she designed a parent self-report. It's not a quiz unless you took it from some other website, 
But if you take it from Elaine Aaron's website, hsperson.com, that is a research-backed valid parent report, parent questionnaire, right? So it's used in the research. She just uh, got publisher permission for the publisher who created that psychological assessment to also put it on her website because she designed it, right? But once she um, uh, got the publisher to publish it in psychological assessment books, she had to get permission, which means that nobody else can duplicate it, right? Um, they have to refer back to her, her website in that 26-point questionnaire. So it is important to understand it is not some, you know, made up quiz that some random person decided to put put it together, right? It is a research uh, validated quit, uh, questionnaire. And it's also true that that is lacking, right? So it was designed in the 90s. And um, uh, there's a new one that is being more effectively tested right now by Pluis. And he's been doing that for about um, four-ish years at this point and putting research out and testing it over and over again before he makes it um, uh, uh, eligible for the public to use, right? Which is you know, sound, relevant, and important. And it's also true that right now, what that means that you as a parent is trying to figure out whether or not your kid's highly sensitive and you're looking at this 26 point thing and saying, eh, you know, my kid hit, hit, you know, a few of them, but doesn't have a lot of sensory issues. Is my kid highly sensitive, but may, or maybe there's something else going on. It leaves you holding the bag, right? So I'm here to help you understand uh, what, what's really going on. Uh, understand whether or not your child is, is fitting the criteria for highly sensitive temperament trait. And then also to understand more around where your child is stuck, if their behaviors are really intense, so that you understand the difference between your kid's disposition, how they naturally experience the world, compared to side effects of a meltdown cycle that is because their environment isn't conducive for them to feel psychologically and emotionally safe. They're missing skills, and you as a parent need to teach that to them, all right? Which means that you are also missing skills. So there's no blame, there's no shame in that game, right? Um, like I said, it's a mismatch in parenting and this has been researched over and over and over again. Uh, first co coined by Marsha Linehan in the 1960s. She started recognizing this uh, sensitivity way before Elaine Aaron, but was more focused on understanding this in the, um, in the clinical realm, studying those people with chronic suicidality and self-harm who fit criteria for borderline personality disorder even. And so her research was behind closed doors for those with master's degrees in the mental health world, right? Um, with specialized tra uh, training, because you can't, unless you work with her directly straight out of internship, um, you can't get training unless you invest a heavy, hefty amount of money into her training, which I did and I, I, I required that of all my clinicians, you know, and, and we put them through those trainings because it's so important when it's a life or death situation to be working with people who are, who are, who know what they're doing. Right. And so um, when we're working with children who are saying things like life would be better off without me, or I'm, I'm um, I want you to be unalive. This is a lot, right? I mean, it's scary. We want to take it seriously. The children who talk about death know more about the concept and the finality of that, of said death than adults give them credit for. Research from the CDC has has put that out, and that was way before the pandemic. Um, that research was was prevalent, so it is important for us to understand that these circumstances are not pandemic um, created. 
They're also not uh, just side effects of kids who didn't learn emotion, uh, social skills or, or were stuck uh, in a hole um, in the home for, for a year or two, right? And, and, and that while obviously disrupted their, their um, social emotional development, it's not what is causing this problem, right? So, you know, we're a few years out from that dynamic. And it's also true that as a parent, you might be wondering, you know, what, 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 where are we at? What caused this, right? So I want to highlight a few of the things that you might be running through your mind, you might be thinking about, you might be spinning out on even uh, as we work on this, okay? So I want to focus on a few things. I'm going to probably share screen for a short amount of time with a few of these studies. Others I'll just cite and um, uh, interpret them in layman's terms so that you have the opportunity to hear about the research without, without having necessarily to go down all these rabbit holes and, um, you know, we don't need a master's degree to parent your kid or a second master's degree to parent your kid uh, with this problem. You just need to learn from a uh, an expert who knows what they're doing. All right. So first things first, your child is highly sensitive if they fit four components to the personality. Number one is that they process things deeply. It's not just that they feel deeply, right? So if you're hearing people tell you that your kid might be a deeply feeling kid, that is a wrong and, and ineffective and quite frankly, irrelevant mischaracterization of your child's temperament. Your child's temperament is because they take in information from the world, not because their internal feeling world is deep. Now it is, but that's not why your child is highly sensitive. All right. So layman um, or, or, you know, somebody who has, um, uh, a basic understanding is mischaracterization, characterizing this, and also, uh, just trying to make sense of it themselves. All right. So deep processing, deep processing. This is the first thing that Elaine Aaron characterized, right? So when you can notice a ton of information from the world and I apologize, I'm getting over a cold. So if I sound a little stuffy, and this is the first time you heard of me, my nasally voice will go away a little bit, at least the next time you listen to me, but here it is, here we are, whatever. And so um, life moves on. So what we're doing is we're focusing on noticing that your, your child is taking in a lot of information from the world. They are going to make connections, process that information deeply, make connections that you might not think are there or that they are making there right? So this happens when your child is calm. It also happens when your child is not calm. So when your child is not calm, you might think that they're jumping to conclusions. They're making mountains out of, out of molehills. They're making mass characterizations, engaging in some logical fallacies even, and really getting stuck in all or nothing. And, you know, the world is ending, catastrophizing thinking. And so you might think that this might mean that they have an anxiety issue, right? Where their mind is moving a mile a minute and they're just worry warts. And so you might think, okay, maybe my kid is just generally anxious. Here's where I want you to put a pause on that. Because if your child is taking information in all day long and they are calm, then they can choose to make those connections and not worry about them because emotionally they're regulated. Now, if they don't have the capacity to do that on demand, 
then they will have meltdowns regularly. They will lose their mind and they will get stuck in loops, which is where you're feeling, trying to figure out when you're looking at their behavior at face value, um, you know, that they might have some sort of mental health concern going on and you might need to take them to a therapist. Now, it's important for you to understand that if your child's been traumatized or they've experienced scary events in some other way, then sure, therapy is necessary for highly sensitive kids, right? However, if your child is looping when they're dysregulated, but able to make connections and have wise beyond their years conversations when they're not, when they are emotionally regulated, then you're likely parenting a highly sensitive child, right? Now, I want to pay attention to that depth of processing, taking in more information from the world. If they're taking in more information from the world in terms of what they see, what they think, what other people think, what other people, what knowledge they have already, and how they're tying all those things together, then that means they're going to be more, number two, easily overstimulated if they don't have emotion management skills. So what that means is that they are going to make those mountains out of molehills in their mind and then in their heart freak out and we have a meltdown right now your child is possibly also intellectually gifted we know they're emotionally gifted because they're very compassionate right and this is number three emotionally responsive and empathetic right four components Elena and identified easily overstimulated which means sensory stuff is is um uh, bothersome to them, right? This like itchy tag, funky shirts, they can't handle it, collars, um, uh, might be more easy for, for parents to understand, but there's many more senses than just tactile and auditory. So it is important to understand there's eight. Um, and, and so when you're, when you're paying attention to that, you're, you might not be able to see with training without like from, from the naked eye or for, as a layperson that your child is overstimulated by the environment or overstimulated by their internal experience of um, of sensations going on in their body if they don't know how to manage this. So it's not a deeply feeling thing, right? They will feel deeply. They're very deep kids. They're they're compassionate. They are, you know, emotionally connected beyond their years when they're calm, when they're collected, right? However, however, when they're not. You see this mischaracterization, Jekyll High dynamic, meltdown city, they're doing things they regret, and then they say they regret them after the fact, right? They're super sad, or they're blaming themselves or blaming others in that dynamic. Now, this, super critical to understand, is a symptom of the meltdown cycle. You cannot teach your child directly how to handle their feelings differently as the, the, the change agent. You are the therapeutic change agent for your kiddo. All right. So what does that mean? That means you need skills. You can't just go learn a breathing technique and then teach it to your kid. That's just not what helps solve this problem. Um, certainly it helps them feel a little bit better and a tool is a tool and great. But if the toolbox is dropping the tools, <laughs> then we got to get a better toolbox. Right. So um, we can't just be teaching the kid tools. So here's the deal. We've got the, um, oh, easily overstimulated. Then we go to E, emotionally responsive, which could be seen as emotionally reactive. If your child is losing their mind all the time, they're irritable, they're popping off, right? And then we have sensitive to subtleties, those small details that your kid notices. And then that adds to emotional intensity if they are picking up what other people don't realize they're putting down, Right. So um, you look at your kid like this and all of a sudden they think you're yelling at them, right? Things like that, 
right? Now that is a child who's stuck in their mouth in the meltdown cycle when they are more emotionally sensitive and this leads to shame and overwhelm and self-blame or other blame. You're the one making me feel this way, right? So when we think about noticing whether or not your kiddo is highly sensitive, I did say that I would be mentioning some research here and I'd be characterizing this. We're going to do that briefly today. I want to be focusing on this. I, I named a few researchers, right? Linehan, Lewis, Aaron, A-R-O-N, right? Certainly go ahead and, and, and cover that. I want to bring your attention to one of the research uh, papers that was published in, um, oh, when is this one published? I shouldn't have said the date <laughs> because now I got to go find it. When was this one published? I don't even know. 2019. Okay. Found it fast enough where I don't have to edit my thinking out. Okay, great. So 2019, obviously, if you're listening to this on a podcast, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to read it to you anyways. Uh, but if you're watching me on YouTube, then sharing the screen is helpful, right? All right. So let me go ahead and share screen here. And we'll get moving for just a moment. Now, the article is titled Sensory Processing Sensitivity, which is the highly sensitive trait, right? In the context of environmental sensitivity, whether or not their, their environment, their personal environment is also sensitive. And then they reviewed lots of data, okay? So if your um, professional field is not in research, then what I'm gonna do is, um, is give you the opportunity <laughs> um, if my computer will let me to uh, read along and understand with me, all right? So um, there are many, many researchers, big name researchers in the highly sensitive uh, temperament trait here that are named in this um, in this paper, all right? Leonetti, uh, Aaron, Lewis, and Acevedo all focus on parenting and the mind of a highly sensitive person. The other researchers have been multiple have been published multiple times, um, many of them here, but uh, these are the ones that have been talking for a very long time and specifically related to the fact that highly sensitive kids when raised in an emotionally um, connected and understanding environment can actually change the way that they present in the world and they respond and perform better than their peers. And those researchers have published multiple papers over the years, decades, decades, um, uh, to, to speak to that fact, all right, since the 1990s, they've been publishing. So when we think about that, it's been about 30 years worth, more than that even, um, of, of research that demonstrates this. this is not pop psychology, like um, pop psychology, you know, you might've heard of PDA, pop psychology, for sure, debunked. Um, uh, you might've heard of ODD, debunked, right? It's in the DSM, but it's not actually based in neuroscience. So whereas this type of uh, approach and understanding, we are basing our understanding in neuroscience and also gene development. So it, it, we move beyond the the, um, the 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 mental health diagnose, diagnosable um, information because it's just not sufficient in describing temperament. Because the mental health world, we don't we don't study temperament, right? I had to learn about this stuff way beyond uh, my master's degree um, in school because we don't study temperament for but like 
a quarter of a class in life um uh in 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 child development if i decided to take that class which i did because i knew i was going to specialize in working with children and teens but um most clinicians learn to decide or, or decide to be um uh they might not decide to work with kids until later in their career or you know because it's the first job they could get right so what that means is they might not have uh, studied it in grad school so with that being said temperament is covered um in like one chapter right because we're we're talking about a um atypical development and understanding um typical normal development when you're studying it from a from a mental health lens getting your master's degree to become a therapist or a psychologist so um understanding what's normal or what's typical is actually only a, a tiny part of the of the career trajectory uh, and then you just hyper focus on studying what's not typical right so um whereas uh, researchers and specialists who are paying attention to working with the population to go above and beyond normal and typical and reach your highest potential they're not studying and 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 sending that to um to people who are working on on working with people who are not functioning according to development right um instead that information is published in um in papers and then used by performance psychology or, or used by people who are coaching from a performance psychology standpoint. Um, and, and there's not too many of us who are doing that in the parenting world. Okay, guys, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to review this one uh, published in Science Direct, all right, which is a, a well-known um, research journal, right? And the the topic of conversation is neuroscience and biobehavioral reviews. Um, and, and so what I want to do at this point is is just focus on the introduction piece and and a highlight here, okay? Um, so I'm going to read part of this. This is an article, um, the, a, a clinical article that was posted in 2019. And I want to highlight what we're talking about here so that you guys are able to see some of this um, and then hopefully save some time as well as pay attention to the fact that this is not a fad, right? Um, now, SPS is a temperament trait, right? Um, sensory processing sensitivity. And what I want to highlight here is that in um, adverse childhood environments, this is I'm reading directly here on page two. Um, in adverse childhood environments, individuals with high SPS scores may shift from typical to atypical development with a negative impact on well-being and a higher risk for behavioral problems and psychopathologies in childhood and adulthood. Now, in layman's terms, what that means is that when children who are highly sensitive experience stressful household environments... Um, in childhood, they end up developing behavior problems and mental health disorders, mental health diagnoses, right? And they present with these behavior problems and um, these mental health issues in childhood and in adulthood. Now, the next sentence, conversely, individuals high on the SPS, so high on sensory processing sensitivity, which is a measurable trait, exposed to positive events in life may flourish and perform exceptionally well. For example, showing more positive mood 
and intervention responsivity. Okay, so responsiveness to the intervention. Um, and a result with important implications for policymakers and practitioners, right? So in 2017, they started publishing this um, with the understanding that when you're practicing with highly sensitive kids, if you know what you're doing, you get fast results. Hi, nice to meet you, right? So what's important to understand is that we started doing this in uh, this business, uh, twenty. I opened in 2018, right? Um, but I opened the private practice in 2017, which means as this stuff was being published, I was already doing it naturally. Um, so I think it's important to understand that um, the the research is catching up to some of the stuff that we do here at MTC. And it's also true that what we do here at MTC is research-backed. Um, and, and that is because the research that is being published right now is studying highly sensitive kids and also highly sensitive adults who are not characterized by severe and significant behavior problems only, which is where that research in the 60s started, right? So my training um, over a decade ago was from uh, the clinical training to work with severe uh, mental health issues, right? Chronic suicidality, self-harm. And so all that research is relevant if you're treating that issue. However, if you're not treating that issue and you're working with kids who are pre-having that issue or having the initial signs of, of this problem, then you might just be thinking these are kids who have um, anxiety, right? Worries. Uh, they might be kids where, where you're just looking at the traditional approach, thinking that they're oppositional or defiant, or you're thinking that they just can't handle demands and saying that that, that this is a pathological problem um, or that it's fitting criteria more for autism. Now, where autistic kids don't demonstrate this behavior is in, um, you know, kids who are autistic, they are... Um, struggling in more than one avenue of their lives and they are not demonstrating emotion regulation and depth of understanding when calm when they are experiencing overwhelm do you get what i'm saying so highly sensitive people when they're overwhelmed and yet previous to that they were calm and then in the environment is positive, they can handle the stress, right? Whereas an autistic kid or an autistic adult who is um, surprised by stress, regardless of the environment being positive or not, they're not going to be as responsive to that um, stress in a positive manner, right? Um, because they're more susceptible to it and, and it's also more complicated for them to learn skills than for highly sensitive kids. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be e easy for highly sensitive kids who are stuck in a meltdown cycle to build skills, but it's less complicated than if they were autistic. Okay. All right. So um, let's move on. I want to read the, um, we want to go to the, to the bottom of what we're going to focus on here. All right, so um, we're moving into a little bit more on page three. We're talking about the observational studies related to parenting, okay? And I'm going to read some of this here. You'll read it with me uh, if you wish. 
Now, there were three observational studies re regarding the fact that being highly sensitive can act as a vulnerability factor given your environment, all right? So uh, in, in 97, SPS adults reported having an unhappy childhood scored higher on negative emotionality and social introversion. So what does that mean? These people had uh, a, a negative emotional home. Usually they were focused on the negative as adults. So pessimistic people, um, you know, depressive states, uh, highly anxious, right? Just like living regularly sad and regularly feeling awful or mediumly mediocre. And then also introvert, social, socially introverted. So reclusive, right? Uh, if you feel crappy uh, internally and you generally focus on the negative, glass half empty, you're you're probably not going to want to be around people a lot because you don't feel really confident, right? So um, these are people who are highly sensitive, who had a, an unhappy childhood, right? That's what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about a traumatic childhood. I'm talking about sensitive kids who are unhappy because of their lack of skill and a mismatch in parenting. And this, this impacts adulthood, right? So it's important to pay attention to that. Th those are studies that were published in 1997, right? Again, this is not a fad. Secondarily, we got another one. Um, in adults, um, sensory processing sensitivity was shown to moderate the effect of parental care on depressive symptoms. So what does that mean? That means that when you have uh, the highly sensitive temperament trait, your um, par parent care impacts whether or not you're going to end up depressed in adulthood, right? Um, so if you were very, you know, if, if you fit the sensory processing sensitivity uh, at, at a high level, where you were meeting the criteria, those four components very intensely. Um, when parental care is low, they have the highest depression scores, right? Um, when, uh, when parental care um, was high, depression scores were not related to the fact that they were highly sensitive. So you can still be highly sensitive and end up having, um, having depression but if they had a high parent score, it was likely due to some other circumstance in their life that led them to be depressed, right? Now, another one in terms of studying life, and that was published in 2005, okay? So um, then another study on adults who who, fed, uh, who had this temperament trait um, reported lower life satisfaction when their childhood experiences were particularly negative, Right? Um, it had no effect on um, whether or not their life ended up turning out to be positive. But I can tell you that if their dynamic at home is negative, they're going to end up having a negative adulthood, right? So um, their satisfaction in life is going to last a lifetime, guys. So it's really important that we're highlighting this now. Um, next one, right? Um I want to read down here, right? And this is important because you might be wondering, what? Wait a minute, Megan. How do you how do you break out of this pattern in as little as eight weeks? That's that's unheard of. You, most people say going to a therapist is going to take a year, right? Well, yeah, because what we do is in therapy, we don't follow the typical medical model, and so we're not um, we're not staying in the same paradigm on you know unconventional results 
uh, require an unconventional process, right? So um, I want to pay attention to this. They studied kindergarten children who were highly sensitive and for six months, right? And when they created changes in the parenting, you could predict the kids' behavior problems. So if you had a negative uh, parenting relationship and you, you know, influenced that, the kid was going to have more behavior problems. And if you had a positive relationship um, with the child and you improved the relationship with the child, then the children were more um, were were more responsive to in, in the positive direction. Okay, highly sensitive kids are most responsive to changes in parenting behavior in both directions. That means when you are changing this dynamic more positively, your kids perform better than their peers who are not highly sensitive. You guys are raising kids who are outside of the norm. Right now, they're demonstrating behavior that is on uh, the lowest standard deviation of the norm, right? Two standard deviations away from the middle on the low end. But when you change the dynamic in your home, they end up performing better than their peers. Two standard deviations from the mean over the medium, median, excuse me, over the middle, right? Top of the top. You know that. Your kid is super gifted in all kinds of ways. They're very compassionate. They're very bright, right? They're super clever. They're probably skilled um, maybe even athletically or, or artistically. So when parenting became more negative, it will predict externalizing behaviors, right? It doesn't matter where your kid is demonstrating these behaviors, where it's at home or school or both. What matters is the fact that that behavior is, is being demonstrated. Now, this research paper that I'm, I'm sharing with you was published in 2019, but it's a research, um, it's a research paper that summarizes research papers right? So this one wasn't a study. It's a, it's a collection of studies. Now, I don't know what, you know, based on your career, when you needed to read papers like this, but these were like the best ones when we were writing papers in, in, in grad school, right? Because it's basically summarized a bunch of them. And then you got like 20 different sources. By the time you were done reading this one, you can go find more, right? Because this is a summation of all these studies. So that's the one why I'm, I'm highlighting this one for you, because it is a, um, a review of all of the research over the last three decades. All right. All right. So what I want to do next is just highlight the fact that this is a neurological-based uh, approach that we take because the trait is neurological, right? They've done five different studies using fMRIs. And um, SPS has been has been providing evidence for neural basis there, okay? Um, utilizing the HSP scale regarding measuring the, the SPS, which is what I mentioned earlier. There are brain responses to different tasks in uh, receiving information from these emotional studies. For, sorry, from the emotional uh, stimuli, from the information coming in from the world that's emotional. Okay, so it is important to understand that the, the depth of processing, the empathy and the overstimulation 
being characterized all at once has been difficult to study um, up until this when this was published in 2019. It's also true that there's newer research coming out, like I said, in, in 2023 uh, and then also in 2024, where they're studying this at a gene level rather than just at a brain level, right? So um, this is this is this is four years old research, but it's already outdated. Um, so it, it is important to notice that, that it's, while it's very thorough, it's, it's content, this field and this, uh, specialty of ours is still, um, you know, booming in, in terms of what we're, we're able to, to learn and, and find, right. And then, and what we use to coach our clients. So, um, I want to, want to highlight that here. Okay. Oh, there's so many more things to be teaching. Um, you this article is open source. Um, I did choose that article for this um, for this purpose because the other ones you got to go pay for, right? Um, Twenty bucks here and there that it just adds up, right? So I want you to be able to um, uh, learn more effectively from one uh, approach. Um, and it's not like you just went and read one study. These are, this is a compilation study. So it, 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 it gives you the opportunity to notice sensory processing sensitivity is a real thing. It's not somebody who didn't understand autism. And, and, um, that's why Elaine Aaron doesn't engage in those baloney claims because it's really baseless. <laughs> I mean, there's just so much research that um some sort of random tiktoker who wants to say that that the sps is the same as autism is just it's just not even worth the breath of people who do this work um but it is important for you as a parent to understand that sps is not autism um so that you're you know you're putting yourself in in the the position to learn from people who know what they're talking about right because that's that's important right all right. So again, on page 13, we have here uh, regarding parenting. And so what our process does is we work directly with parents to solve the problem in the home regarding the child. And I tell you over and over again, that individual therapy doesn't solve this problem. Why? Because if you yourself are highly sensitive and you don't recognize it, you will feel like a crappy parent on top of the fact that you don't feel, feel adequate managing this dynamic and you won't be able to be consistent no matter what the individual therapist is teaching you. So I want to highlight this. All right. This is research backed guys. So I'm not just making this stuff up to, to, to make you hire me. Right. Um, I, I've got better things to do and, and we have plenty of clients. So I think it's important to understand that we're always welcome to help people and we, we want to help everybody who wants our help. And it's also true that I don't say things that aren't backed in research. Okay. So here's the deal. I don't need you to like me. I need you to follow the science. <laughs> Let's read it. Regarding parenting, high SPS mothers are shown to score significantly higher on parenting difficulties. For example, each day is full of hassles or I don't get enough time to myself or I regret ha having become a parent. Listen, moms, dads, you deserve to feel effective as a parent those are those are questions i'm reading verbatim from this study right so if you're not following me on the um on a show you're listening to to the podcast here those are in quotations those three sentences in quotations from studies all right they published a study in 2019 
So when, when I name the, the problem and you're wondering how I know what I know, it's because we obviously solve client, solve this problem for our clients. And also because this is researched, research self statements that when you're stuck in this dynamic, if you are highly sensitive, outsourcing this to, to somebody who's going to work directly with your kid will keep you stuck. All right. Now, same thing, high SPS father scored significantly higher only on attunement to the child, right? This is important because when you're paying attention to the kid and you're, you're a father who is highly sensitive, you're really going to struggle if, you're, if you don't have your own emotional uh, management skills because you're going to be super focused on your kid right? So um, they go on to talk about three different others, three different studies in this paragraph. These findings suggest that for those high on SPS who are highly sensitive, it is particularly important for their well-being to have ways to manage their perceived overstimulation of parenting, especially given that it could facilitate the expression of their self-reported benefit of the trait and their greater attunement to their children. So if you don't believe that this is a skill set that you have and it's a strength and you can't own that like with your full being and show up as your own internal superhero, then your kid will not get their needs met by you in your home. So if you are a type A performance, you know, high, high performer, perfectionist, let me handle the family and I'll fix myself later kind of person. Listen, I used to be that person. Takes one to know one. You will not raise an emotionally regulated child who's highly sensitive. It is imperative that you work on yourself. All right. This is not just like a good thing. It's a good thing to do it, right? Like that's the best way to live your best life, bestie. No, talking about the fact that over and over and over again, Research demonstrates this is necessary. You got to stop putting yourself last. If you want your child to learn how to put themselves first in terms of having standards for themselves and following through on managing their own emotional intensity and taking responsibility for their behavior, you have to lead first, right? Now, you and I both know that that, like you logically understand that, but if you emotionally don't know how to make that happen every single day, like clockwork, then it's time to work with a professional. It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to do it over and over again. And I'm not here to convince people who, who don't believe that that's true because you're just not likely our, 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 um, our ideal client. Okay. So um, you can go work on that in therapy or not. That's up to you. But what I think is important to understand is that our work here at MTC, our process it works for people who are self-aware enough to realize that you might not know everything and you might be kicking the ball into your own goal and not even realizing it, all right? So here's the deal, comprehensive overview, all right? Summarizing suggestions of the process and um, the importance to understand where all of this, uh, where all of the study is coming from, okay? I'm just highlighting this conclusion here. And all of the research focuses a lot on why some individuals are more sensitive to environmental influences than others, right? The research is profound. I want to talk about this, all right? 
so we've got this study, there's future directions. So I'm not going to go through that today, right? But I want to look at, like just share screen here and cover how many references. And in fact, I'm actually going to pause this recording and I'm going to count for you because it's not numbered. <laughs> but what I will tell you is that it is five, one, two, three, four. It's like 12 font. No, it's probably 11 font. And um, maybe even eight font by the time we get to re references here. And it's three pages, three and a half, uh, four pages. One, two, one, two. Can I count? Three pages full, right? If we got, we've got um, two full pages and then two half pages because when they started the article. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to count it for you. Okay. I just finished counting 191 articles summarized in this one critical review and development um, paper. Okay. Now it could be 192. I might have course corrected in the middle of counting, but I love you guys. I don't love you enough to do that again. <laughs> Ain't nobody got time for that. So listen, here's the deal, right? Here's the deal. We are going to focus on solving the problem. People can write parenting books with less references than that. You can put your kid on medication approved by the FDA, FDA with less studies than that. So here's the deal. It's time to, to acknowledge the fact that your kid's highly sensitive and it's time to solve the problem. If your family's stuck in the meltdown cycle, that means that your family is having serious communication problems, right? That can be solved swiftly with help, right? With help. So like I said, I was going to break down a little bit of the, the, the meltdown cycle here. Um, I, I spoke about that earlier. The meltdown cycle is a dynamic where the parents don't have a process and your child is losing their mind on a daily basis and they're highly sensitive. It's that simple. It's that simple. There's no more. Your kid can be losing it on a daily basis, a multiple times a day basis, or a, um, uh, a multiple times a week basis over the age of four. Your kiddo is having meltdowns because they're not developmentally appropriate beyond the age of four. And then four, we would be looking at daily meltdowns because we need them to age out of meltdowns by the time they're five. So if, if your kid's having like six meltdowns a day at age four, like we got, we got some work to do. Right. And then in terms of, um, going above and beyond those ages, we wouldn't expect any kid not highly sensitive as well as any kid who is highly sensitive. We don't want them having meltdowns at all. Right. Now I'm not saying there's something wrong with your kid and you need to teach your kid that they like, they need to, to suck it up. That, that doesn't work either. But um, the purpose of this video is to really help you understand whether or not being highly sensitive is science-backed, um, whether or not it's genetic, right? And um, I want to highlight that, okay? All right, so um, there's newer studies, like I said, coming out in 2024 and 2023 as well, where there are a handful of genes playing a particularly important role in sensitivity and uh, one particular variation on the SERT uh, gene is that this gene contains two lines of genetic code, uh, which are either long or short and highly sensitive people 
typically demonstrate two short lines, right? Short, short variant. So um, basic biology, right? You have some odds that create that. And it's also true that, like I said before, there are thousands of, of genes that contribute to whether or not your temperament ends up being highly sensitive. And there are key components to a few of them that they're finding now in research that can really highlight um, that, that commonality, right? So um, it used to be considered a depression gene. Uh, however, they debunked that and, and found out that it actually is more described, more appropriately described as a plasticity gene. So again, going back to what we we're talking about, highly sensitive kids, more susceptible to their environments, right? How plastic are you based on your environment, right? Um, and, and if you have this gene short, short, it means that you're going to be more um, amenable or, or uh, malleable by the environment than somebody who's not, which is why your kids, if you have more than one uh, and one's not highly sensitive, you're like, it can't be a parenting issue. I try to parent them the same way. Yeah, it's a parenting issue because your kid fits this temperament. And uh, this is this is something that goes all the way down to their makeup. Okay, so I am happy, happy, happy to um, to have these conversations with you guys, um, more particularly related to your family, and um, we can we can talk about that uh, next. So if your child is having meltdowns on a daily basis, then it is time to seek professional support. We are happy to cover that, whether or not our process would be an appropriate fit for you or not. And uh, that requires a phone call so we can understand where uh, you're stuck, what your goals are as a family, and whether or not our work is going to help you reach that so that the entire family can be addressed. And also your highly sensitive child's needs can be met specifically. And I'm happy to do that. Myself and my team have op the opportunity to get on a call with you. And we look forward to talking to you. All right. Talk soon. Thanks for joining me for this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in hearing more about how to eliminate the meltdown cycle, I invite you to check out our free masterclass where we cover the five steps our clients use to eliminate the daily meltdowns. You can register for the next training at meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash five steps. That's the number five S-T-E-P-S meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash five steps. Have a great day.